Good morning. Thank you, musicians. Thank you, church, for your prayers, for our family, and for uh, our sanity as we try to raise three children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. We believe that our goal, our vision for our children is to make sure to work as hard as we can. You can never guarantee that you can pray, you can teach, and you can live as best as possible before them a Christ-like example, Christ-like example. but our, our vision, our goal for our children is that they will grow to love God and His church. It is very startling if you're reading the books and you're reading the blogs and you see the trajectory of the church it is less and less love for God, less and less love for His Word. And one really, really startling statistic is that young people between the ages of 18 and 22 who grew up in the church, 70% of them are leaving the church to never return again. They're calling that generation the de-churched. Not the unchurched, because they grew up in church, but they are the de-churched. They were in the church, and something's happened to this 70% of young people where they don't believe church is essential anymore. And it is my belief that they have been taught incorrectly that God is a God of rules and not a God of relationship. Let me make it very clear, young people and parents alike, God is first and foremost a God of relationship. That is the clear testament of the new covenant. You cannot keep rules to make God love you. In fact, God has already loved you in Christ Jesus. As much as you can ever, ever be loved. And so young people who are in that age group and young people who are growing and parents who are raising children... Help me, help me curve this statistic, at least in this church, to make sure that our children grow to love God and His church. Happy Fourth of July weekend, by the way. Those of you who are going away, we'll pray for your safety. I want to show you my neat little socks to show you I am a patriot here. I also want to show them to you that way in case you're looking and you do see that they're like this. I don't want you to think that they're mismatched. There's a theme there. Some Sundays they're mismatched, just not this Sunday. One other little thing I want to mention is I really, really, really want to see you out here, back out here tonight at 6, 6 for our prayer meeting, 6 o'clock for our prayer meeting. You know, with all the statistics that we have about people falling away from the church, I'm going to read some startling statistics in our sermon this morning. One of the key, one of the key realities in a church that is dying is that a church fails to pray together regularly. Now, I can put it in the bulletin. I can put it on Facebook. 
I can have Susan come up here and show you a cool picture with a cheese wagon bus. That's how much we love you, cheese wagon bus. But until you actually come back out tonight, it doesn't matter. This is not my church. It's your church. This church will be what you want it to be. You'll show God whether or not you really want God to be a part of this church or whether you want this to be a museum for saints. Do you want to see the Holy Spirit's power alive in this church? I don't care about yes or no. If you do, you'll show up tonight. You'll make this more important. This community needs this church. This community needs this church. It needs every one of you, not just its leaders. It needs every one of you. And this community needs us to pray for it. Our nation needs it. Our community needs it. We are needed. But church, we have to make this important. So I'm asking you to come back out tonight. If you have already scheduled plans, change them. That's what I do when I do what I want to do. If I really want to play golf, there's nothing that's going to keep me from playing golf. Because I will move heaven and earth to do what I want to do. I'm imploring you to be out here tonight, to be back in this church on your knees, pleading with God to make his power manifest among us. Don't let this church be a museum for saints. If you have your Bibles, please turn in them to Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. We're continuing our series, This is the End. And the word end there does not mean this is the end of days or the end times. We don't know whether it's the end of days or the end times. We know that the end times began the moment that Jesus resurrected from the cross or from the grave. We know that that's when the end began. So we're definitely living in the end times. But whether this is really the real end or not is not the focus of our message series. The end here is our purpose, our goal. Why do we, the Northwest Baptist Church, exist? Why are we here? What are we doing? And so I laid out first our foundation, our mission, which is to cultivate a greater love for God and for neighbor. To cultivate a greater love for God and for neighbor. I want us to move outside of the idea that God is up there keeping a divine ledger, waiting to zap us when we do bad things, ready to reward us when we do good things. I want us to understand that God gives good to good people and bad people alike. He sends suffering to good and bad people alike. And that suffering is one of the chief marks of being a Christian. The only thing that's going to keep you afloat in the middle of that suffering, though, is not obeying a rule keeper. It's by loving your God. And so our goal, our purpose for existence as a church is to cultivate a greater love for God and for neighbor. But this week we're going to begin the talk of our vision. Vision is the spectacles of our mission. The mission is our eyes. The vision is the spectacles. It shows us how we can 
fulfill our mission and what we need to do in order to fulfill that mission of loving God and loving neighbor more and more. And so we're going to begin our four weeks, or just four parts, on our vision. The vision focuses on how we can achieve our mission. There are four parts to our particular vision as a church. Number one, our vision for accomplishing or for achieving a greater love for God and neighbor, number one, is to strengthen the faith of every believer. To strengthen your faith. Number two, to deepen the roots of Christian fellowship. Number three, to build Christian homes. And finally, number four, to reach South Florida for Christ. And over the next four weeks, my goal will be to explain how each one of these points of our vision functions to fulfill our overall mission. Before we begin, though, this morning, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I ask you to do the work that only you can do. Lord, I ask you to put it in the hearts of our people to see, give them the eyes to see, give them the heart that feels, ears to hear, a desire for you, a desire for others. Let them see Northwest Baptist Church as the platform for doing your ministry. God, communicate clearly through your word that every single individual in this church has been called into the ministry. Lord, I plead with you, I cannot do what you can do. All I can do is speak on your behalf. I can only speak your word. I can only teach your word, Lord God, but it is you who gives the growth. Some sow, others water, but you give the growth. Lord, the church was obedient on that day of Pentecost, praying. But it was your Holy Spirit who decided to descend himself upon that church. And I pray that your Holy Spirit will once again descend upon this church in whatever fashion or manner would breathe life into the lungs, into the dead spirituality that plagues every American church. Holy Spirit, give us life. Let us move our eyes from ourselves to Christ. Let us look beyond our own desires to the desires and to the needs of others. Take us on that wonderful journey away from ourselves to love you, God, and to love others. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In their book, Who Needs Theology?, Stanley Grintz and Greg Olson note that because Christians are people who believe in God and also believe that God relates to them in special ways, namely through the Word of God or grace or faith or prayer and so on, because Christians are people who believe in God, they would do well to explore the meaning of God and try to get to know God as thoroughly as possible with their whole being, mind as well as heart. For some reason or other, the last century has been a century of ignorance in the church of Jesus Christ. We have emphasized feeling and emotions over the mind. 
And I am not here saying that feeling and emotions do not play a very important part in your spiritual life. But you cannot feel right and love what you don't know. I meet too many people whose God has been made in their own image rather than their image being made in His. Their knowledge of God does not come from the Word, but comes from their feelings. It comes from their dreams. It comes from their experiences. All things which are fleeting. All things which may or may not be from God. Not in any endorsing sense at any rate. That is to say that God is not behind every event saying that's what it should be. Or that's the way I want it to be. Now we know God is in control of all things, but God does not love all things. And your life might be a total mess today under the providence of God, but you, madam, you, sir, are responsible for that mess. And I'm arguing that the best way to begin to get out of that mess is to strengthen your faith in the knowledge of God and His Word. I had a friend growing up who when we would go and we would buy our video games, we'd buy a video game, we'd go to the house. I was the guy who would pick up the remote control and begin to play the video game without reading the manual. And so there would be my friend sitting in a squatting position because that's what he did. He would sit like a squatter. I don't know why he did that. And he would read the book, and I'd be sitting there playing the game, making fun of him while he was reading the book. Every time. Stop being a nerd. We didn't buy the game to read the book. We bought the game to play it. Let's play. No, no, no. Let me read a little bit more. Let me read a little bit more. And eventually, about an hour later, after he had taken copious notes on how to play the game, he would pick up the paddle and he would kick my ever-loving you-know-what in the game. He knew every move. He knew exactly what to do. And I'm sitting there just getting destroyed. He knew how to play the game. Every game, everything in life comes with rules. It comes with an instruction booklet. And for some reason, Christians have closed the book and said, no, I don't need the book or the books. I've got it right here in my gut. And that's all I need. Everything I need to know about God is in my dreams and right here in my feelings and in my gut. Listen, I've eaten at Taco Bell and I know what can happen to your gut when you eat too much hot sauce and too much Mexican food. Do not let that become your theological instructor. So my goal for our church is to desire a greater knowledge of God through the use of what He has given us. What does strengthening the faith of every believer mean? Here's what it means. It means that at our church, Northwest Baptist Church, we believe that Christian faith grows. See that, little, see that little leaf there? That little leaf, that little sprout, 
is to communicate to every person when they think of our church, there is a place where I can grow and mature. We believe that Christian faith grows. Our vision is that every believer will grow stronger in their faith through acquiring a greater knowledge of God and a love for God and bearing greater fruit of Christian sanctification. So this morning, I want to take that full definition of what it means to strengthen the belief of every believer. I'll read it one more time. I want to take that. I want to explain it's small parts. We believe that every Christian or that Christian faith grows and that every believer will grow stronger in their faith through acquiring more knowledge of God and by bearing the fruit of Christian sanctification. Now remember, this is only one part. We're going to talk about three other parts. But without this part, you cannot have the other parts. All parts of our vision are instrumental to fulfilling our mission. We cannot neglect the knowledge of God and expect to build Christian homes. Fathers, how can you be a Christ-like husband and a Christ-like father if you don't know what is expected of you or who Christ was? You don't know what His Word teaches. Children, how can you be a God-honoring child without a knowledge of God and a greater knowledge of His Word? John Calvin said that the ultimate knowledge of ourselves comes first and through the interplay with the knowledge of God. If we really want to know who God is, or we really want to know who we are, we have to know who God is. As long as we don't think about God in our lives, we're quite fine with who we are as a person. Quite happy with what we've achieved. But the moment we begin to look at God, we see how ultimately inadequate we are for being what God has made us to be. Calvin said, it's like looking in the midday at the things around you illuminated by the sun. We can see everything, and as we look around us and we don't look to the sun, we think our eyes are fine until the moment we direct our gaze towards the sun do we realize, we think until that moment we're fine, but when we look towards that sun, we immediately realize our eyes are ill-equipped. We cannot, we cannot radiate the glory of God. And so in the knowledge of who God is, we find ourselves. And that's my goal in our church. That we might know ourselves by knowing God. Number one, we believe that Christian faith grows. If you have your Bibles, look at your passage in Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, 1. We're going to just look first at 11 and 12. Now this is at the end of Paul's uh, greater doctrinal position in Ephesians 1 through 3. He's laying out his doctrinal beliefs and what we believe as believers. He's explained that salvation is by grace alone. One of the great passages in the Bible, Ephesians 2, tells us that we were dead in our trespasses and sin, but God made us alive in Christ. He has explained what the Christian faith is. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for God's glory alone. And now, he explains what we're to do with this. 
those of us who acknowledge this salvation. Look at verse 11. It says, And He gave to the church, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. The first thing I want us to notice is that God has given to the church shepherds, apostles, teachers, evangelists to be a gift for His people. God has given us Christian authority to be a gift. The final authority is, of course, the Word of God, where the teachings of the apostles and the prophets are now preserved. But the evangelists and shepherds and teachers are those who live today among us and who further the teaching of the apostles and the prophets, not by adding to that teaching, but by explaining it and applying it to our lives as life changes. God knew that there were going to be differences in the way that we live life and he knew that there were going to be changes in the way that the world moves he knew that there was going to be a twitter he knew that there was going to be a facebook and social media was going to dramatically change human existence from a real face-to-face living to synthetic living he knew that people weren't going to know how to take their thoughts and their emotions and explain them in words. He knew that there was going to be a miscommunication in this synthetic relationship that was going to lead to greater and greater tension, not only in race, but in politics, in gender, in religion, and in every way. And so he has given to the church a gift, his word and those who are to teach and explain his word. They are a gift to us. He gave. In fact, if you look right up in verse 8, Paul quotes from Psalms. He says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Those gifts that he has given to us are the authorities of God's teachers. But why has he given us these teachers? Look at verse 12. It says to equip the saints for the work of ministry. The word equip there in the Greek means to bring something to completion or to form something to fit a particular purpose. That is to say that God has given teachers for a task and their task is one task. It is to fit, it is to equip believers for the work of ministry. And yet we've made a very subtle mistake in the church today by calling pastors ministers. We have taken what God meant to be a verb of action for every believer and turned it into a noun for a select few. Oh, I'm not going to witness to anybody. I'm not a minister. Oh, I don't know the Word of God very well. I'm not a minister. I remember I had a woman come to me one day. She was mad. Her child was failing Bible. That was always weird to have a child fail Bible. But the child was failing Bible because our Bible curriculum was set up very theologically. 
And the mother said, I don't get it. My son is a Christian. He reads the Bible every night. Why isn't he passing your class? Why, why, why isn't he passing this class? He's reading the Bible. I said to her, because we study theology and we try to explain the entire Bible and try to make sense out of this Bible. And her response to me was, what, are you trying to make them all pastors? No. I have been sent into that classroom to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Just like every pastor in every church has been sent into the church to equip you to get off your feet and get involved in the work of God. I have been in the very seat you've been in. I know what it is. And in fact, am still in that seat, will always be in that seat as I am led by other pastors and instructors to grow in my knowledge so that I might be a better minister of the gospel. So that I might do ministry better. But not because I am a pastor, because I am a believer and this is the way God has developed His church. God has given pastors teachers, prophets, apostles, that is, He has given His Word and those who explain His Word for you as a gift to do ministry better. That leaf and our brand is for every individual believer. What is a sprout today will hopefully turn into a tree that gives much fruit. But also for the building up of the body of Christ. The word building up here in our passage, same verse, verse 12, refers to the forming of an incomplete structure. Believers, just because you came down the aisle some years ago and you prayed a prayer does not mean that your Christian life is done. In fact... In a good Bible-believing church, in a good Baptist-believing church, we'll use the good old southern phrase, I think it's very theological, born again. A born-again believer. You know, there are actually Christians who distinguish between believers and born-again believers. As if there's a difference. Christ said you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you be born again. Christ was a southerner, you didn't know that. That would be disappointing if you got to heaven and Jesus was like, hey, y'all. How y'all doing? That turn the other cheek there. I hope he speaks like Sir Ian McKellen. Maybe not Ian McKellen, but some other British guy. I hope he has an English accent. Jesus said, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of heaven. That moment at your salvation was your birth. You're a baby. Many of you, many of us, we're babies. And what has unfortunately happened in the church in America is that we have stayed babies. We have taken what Scripture has said about a childlike faith and turned it into a childish faith. 
where we don't need theology, we don't need pastors, we need short sermons, we need to get our grass greener, we don't want to love God more, we don't want to know about that, we want to know about how God can make my life better. And unfortunately, unfortunately, there are pastors and churches all over this world that would love to take your money to tell you what will make you better. But that's not going to hold up when the doctor tells you you have cancer. It's not going to hold up when your daughter comes home and tells you, I don't love God anymore. That's not going to hold up when you don't understand why God takes your loved ones from you unexpectedly. You're going to need something more. And what I'm calling us to do as a church is to be equipped, not only for the ministry of others, but for the ministry of ourselves. To know God. The statistics in the American church are not good. People care less and less about God. They care less and less about His Word. They care less and even less about His church. In this past quarter's Facts and Trends from the SBC, they sent out statistics asking Christians, American Christians, what they believe was essential to the faith. And there were several. The first one was belief in God. 84, this is scary, 84, 84% of American Christians believed the belief in God was essential to Christianity. Why is that statistic not 100%? That there are, that's, that those 16% need to go and live with the 7% who still believe that chocolate milk comes from brown cows. But listen to this statistic. 58% of American Christians do not believe that reading the Bible is essential to being a Christian. Six out of ten Christians don't even need this. I would say it's probably more when you walk into the home and you got to go to even know what the book says. Six out of ten American Christians believe that it's not essential to read the Bible to be a Christian. Because they bought into the lie that you just have to feel it. That's all that matters. Here's another startling statistic. Closer to 7 out of 10 don't believe that being a part of a local church body is essential to the church. But when you go back to the church when it began in Acts, there are two, two things that the church made essential. And it wasn't programs. And they were exploding. 3,000 heard the message and received, and then another 2,000 later. 5,000 very quickly joined the church. What did they do? 
It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. In other words, the church saw the two most essential aspects of being a Christian were the Bible and the body. The very two things that the vast majority, I say the vast majority of Christians in America today believe are not essential to being a Christian. Where did this disconnect happen? It is because their theology has been in their gut and not in their head. It is because they have put away their Bibles and they have gone to their dreams. But we believe that Christian faith grows. Our sprout is an example of what we believe as a church. Just like plants cannot grow without the dual nutrients of sun and water, so also Christians cannot grow without the Bible and the body of Christ. I had two little plants, beautiful little plants. They were $5, and I, I hung them outside underneath my awning, and I took my little spray bottle. I was so cute outside, just spraying my plants every day. I looked like a little lady just spraying it. Yes, I wanted my plants to grow, and I had never planted a plant in my life, but now that I have a home and I care about it, I want to plant plants. I used to go up and hack up my dad's garden with my golf clubs. Now, if, any, if a duck even walks in my yard, I want to kill it. And so I come out, I've been spraying these, and I walk out and I look, and they're dead. They're just dead. They look so pathetic. It used to look like, hey, I'm a plant. Now it's like, mm, I'm a plant. So depressed. So bent over. And then somebody came and said to me, Andrew, you got to put the plants out in the sun. And I... I won't tell you who that is. I won't tell you who that person is. But I realize you can't just give it water. You've got to have water and sun. You can't just have faith in your gut. You cannot just love God with all your heart. You've got to love Him with your mind as well. I mean, if I, and, and, and you guys use your minds. I know you do. If I asked you right now who was Angelina Jolie married to, you tell me. I know you know what's going on in Sherlock because you've been binge watching it all week on Netflix. I know you are smart. What I am calling you to do is direct your brains towards God. Christians, don't check your brains at the door. God has given the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, and shepherd teachers to be His gifts to His people, to equip all believers for the work of ministry. The health of our Christian lives depends on a healthy diet of God's Word as brought to us by those men and women who have dedicated their lives to understanding the languages, the histories, the customs of the day, and the interconnectedness of the whole Bible within itself. Grenzen Olsen 
the same guys who wrote the book Why or Who Needs Theology, say this, professional theologians exist to be a service to the community of the faith, not to dictate to it or lord over it intellectually. Lay theologians, that is, all of us, need professional theologians to give us the tools of biblical study, historical perspective, and systematic articulation so that we can improve our own theologizing. We need them. Just like my friend who sat down and read the booklet before he played the video game. Before you go into that life of living for Christ, you better check the instruction manual. You might be doing it wrong. You say, do you really believe Christians are doing it wrong? Do you ever watch Channel 45? Yes, I do. Everyone in Dade County is a Christian. Do you think that's for real? No. Number two, stronger in the faith. For some odd reason, Christians have separated their faith from their theology. We have brought into the idea that believing in something you have no knowledge of is just fine. Probably more accurately, we believe that faith is believing in what our feelings or emotions or experiences tell us are true. For this reason, theology has fallen on hard times. Grenz again notes that many Christians falsely equate theology with questioning God or questioning the authority of the Bible and then conclude that theology is a threat to the faith. And some Christians even go so far as to believe that if you study theology, you might actually destroy your faith. I tell you to the contrary. Knowledge of who God is is not going to destroy your faith. Not true knowledge at any rate. But look at what verses 13 and 14 tell us in our passage. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, don't worry, I'm going to explain these, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. By human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Just take for a moment that imagery of being tossed to and fro. This is what the average believer looks like today. He is rocking back and forth. He says, man, I want to support this political party, but they don't believe in that. I want to go back over here and I think that the Bible says this and I think that the Bible says that. I don't know what I believe about life after death. One of the tragic things that I've noticed is that many Christians are not confident that if they were to die today, they would spend eternity in heaven with Christ. That is a very sad reality for Christians. They are tossed to and fro by every wave of doctrine, and they have thought that they can't say with confidence that if I were to die today, I'd spend eternity in heaven with Christ. But that's the product of not loving God with your mind. Why can we say that we will spend eternity in heaven with Christ? Not because we're perfect, but because we are forgiven. We are forgiven. I can be so confident in that right now. God, I know that if I were to die today, 
that I'll spend eternity in heaven with you. I know it. I know it. I am happy about it. I am joyous about it. I know there's nothing I can do to screw it up. I know that all that the Father gives to you will come to you. I know that no one and nothing can separate me from your love. I know that no one and nothing can take me out of your grasp. I know that what you gave me, you will preserve to the end. I know that you love me. I'm going nowhere. You're going nowhere. All because of you. Not because of me. But that's bad theology. That's why you don't say you know. That's why you're not confident that you're saved. Because you don't know. Because you spend more time in us weekly and less time in the Word. I want my sheep to be confident. I want you to stop wasting time doubting whether you're saved. I remember... I remember when I was at Southern, one of my professors brought me into his office. I was in tears. I knew I wasn't going to be a minister. I knew I couldn't be a pastor. I was just too, just too sinful. I had committed too many sins in my life. I thought I was useless because I had heard that. If you do this, you, you've ruined your life. And I did it, and I thought, well, it's over. What am I even doing here in Louisville? I've moved my family here, and I'm in tears. And I remember my professor said to me, what do you believe about God and salvation? Do you believe this is based on you or based on what God has done for you? This is what he said to me. He asked me a very simple question. He said, Andrew, while you've been doubting your salvation, what have you been doing to minister to others? I said, nothing. I've been worrying about my own mess. I can't help anybody else. And he said to me, Satan is happy. Your bad theology has led you to be ineffective for others. Because you don't accept the forgiveness that God has given to you. And you doubt what God can do to you. Which he says clearly in his word. In this very same book, he tells us, you were dead in your trespasses, but God made you alive. He was rich in mercy. He was great with love. He loved us even when we were dead. He made you alive. Now, now, believer, now that you've accepted that, I am here to equip you for ministry. Move past that. You are forgiven if you have repented. Will you ever be perfect in this life? No, of course not. But just because you won't be perfect doesn't mean that God doesn't want to mature you to manhood. The Greek word in the verse here that says to attain the unity of the faith, that Greek word there in attain means to arrive at a destination. A destination is a predetermined place where a person, or in our case, a group of persons are going. And for Christians, our ultimate destination is not heaven. It is the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Stop talking about streets of gold. Talk to me about the unity of the faith. That's what I care about. You see any gold out there in those streets? We're not going to get it either. 
But you know what we can get? We can get something better. We can get the unity of the bond of peace right here in this body. We can look out at that world that's fighting over black and white and which lives do and don't matter, and we could say, in Christ, there is no black or white. In Christ, the rest of the world is still fighting over what a gender is. Well, are you a woman gender or a man gender or alien gender? That's a real one. It's not a real one, but it's a real one. Little r. While they're fighting over that, we can say, hey, right in here, in Christ, there is no male nor female. While the rest of the world is saying, how come the rich is always getting richer and the poor is always getting poorer? And the robbing the rich, or the rich are robbing the poor, and they're giving it right back to themselves. We can say, Christ, there is no slave, no free, no rich, no poor. You say, how do we do that? We demonstrate it by our love. So that we might grow up in every way. That we might bear this fruit, that we might mature the manhood, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That word maturity does not mean acting like a grown-up. It means complete, to be complete. And in this context, to be complete is to be in the fullness of Christ. In other words, Christians are complete when they have attained the completeness of Christ. And it's not about whether or not this is attainable in this life or not. Basketball players, when they go and they play basketball, they know before they get started, they're not going to hit every shot. But try and tell them that that next shot doesn't matter. They're going to try and make it. And when they miss, they're going to go on. We've got to work at this. I've got to make it next time. So that when that day comes... And the San Antonio Spurs are up by two or three. And you've only got four seconds. What you've done in the gym for your whole life, you can step back and as Ray Allen, hit that three. And when your children come to you and say, I don't love God anymore. I don't understand why he took Bobby. Bobby's only 16. Why did Bobby have to die? You can step back and say, honey, because suffering in this life is exactly what glorifies God. Step back. You might miss some. You'll make a lot more, though, when you know God's Word and be useful to this thing we call the church. Finally, we need to bear fruit for Christian sanctification. The word sanctification, from a theological standpoint, means to grow in greater and greater holiness. By the way, I know you guys are hot. I'm hot too, by the way. Really hot. Bear with us. Bearing the fruit of Christian sanctification. So sanctification means to grow in greater holiness. Bearing fruit means, what good are you as a tree if you don't bear fruit? Now, now that doesn't mean anything to us who, if we want fruit, we just go to Publix. But in a day and age where your sustenance your livelihood really mattered on whether or not that seed was going to turn to a tree and it was going to bear fruit. And it wouldn't matter to us unless we walked into Publix one day and there were no more fruit 
There was no more fruit in there. Could you imagine if you walked into Publix and there were no avocados? Oh, no. I don't know what I'd do. About this much of me is avocado right now. I just love avocado. Do you know another name for avocado is butterfruit? What a great name. Butterfruit. I love butter. I love fruit. And all I can think about every time I eat is, mmm, butterfruit. Butterfruit. What a great name. Man, in a day and age where you're, you're looking to see that tree, that tree going to bear fruit? Well, I sure hope it does, because if it doesn't, we're going to die. We don't have any food. Christians are to bear fruit. Christian, I'm going to ask you a very simple question. What good are you if you don't bear fruit? Jesus said, I look at a tree. He went to a fig tree one day. Fig tree didn't have any figs on it. And he said, curse it. And it died. You know why? Because it doesn't matter if the fig tree doesn't produce figs. Christian, all of this knowledge that you're going to hopefully go into has to bear fruit. Faith without works is dead. And you can increase in the knowledge of God, but if you don't put feet to your faith, who cares what you know? But you got to know before you can do anything about it. You don't say, I'm going to get to this destination without first looking back and saying, okay, this is where I got to go. Somebody called me the other day, said, I've got to come to your house. I said, okay. They said, text me your address. I text them the address. They put the number in their phone or press the button. It came up. That's their destination. And they began to start the track. And they just drove. And Siri said, turn left here, turn right there. But we have to get to the destination. Look at what Paul says in verse 15. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Christian, you are to grow up. You are to grow up in Christ. You are part of a body. You are to grow up in the head. You don't have some misshapen body down here and some beautiful head, which is Christ. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Doctrine leads to life. But this is not a mere call to moral perfection, but a greater love for God and His people. This is not a call to learn more rules. It is a call to love God and His people more in the knowledge you have. The first thing He tells us to do is speak the truth in love. Believers are to be the mouthpieces of truth. When we talk about God, we are not to speculate. We are not to say, I think God is like X, Y, or Z. We're to say, we, are no, we know who God is because we know what His Word teaches us. We're not to speculate, but we are to speak truth. And this truth is none other than the very words that come from God Himself in the Holy Scriptures. David said, the sum of your word, God, is truth. That means this book plus that book plus that book plus the other 63 books together, the sum is truth. The sum total of all of its parts is truth. 
And we've got to learn how to take that truth and explain it, but not to do so in a way that makes God this great rule giver. He is a person who gives us his commands because he loves us. Speak the truth in love. Getting this truth right is no small matter. And when we get it wrong, people often get hurt. When we get it right, people grow in God. How many young people have I talked to that hate the church for negotiable reasons? They've left the church because the church argued about tattoos. And they wanted a tattoo their whole life, and the church argued about tattoos. And somebody, when Bobby went and got that tattoo, somebody in the church said to Bobby, you know that the Bible says that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's always fat people who say that. You ever notice that? It's always a fat person who walks up because God's a God of style. He puts it in an ironic fashion. The fat person always walks up and tells you, your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. So is yours. And they leave the church over that stuff because the truth was spoken, but wrongly and not in love. Yes, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's true. But the application is wrong. It's not about tattoos. It's not about the outside. What did Christ say? I'm not, I'm not concerned with the outside of a cup. You guys are caring about the outside of a cup. Oh, girls can never wear pants to church. And these kids are leaving. And they're wearing pants and they're getting tattoos. Listen to me. Speak the truth but speak it correctly and speak it in love. I had a young person come to me and show me you got a tattoo. One of the young guys in our school. Big tattoo across his forearm. First thing I said to him was, that's awesome. He said, you know, I said, what's your mother think about it? He said, oh, you know, he said, uh, she actually went with us and got one too. I said, yeah, I like your mom. She wants to get past this thing that doesn't matter so that you grow up to love her and love Christ. You know what the, you know what the tattoo said? Agape. I told her, I said, I brought the boy and I said, do you know what that means? I said, it means live like Christ. Now that you're going to wear that tattoo on your forearm, that's awesome. It's beautiful. Now make sure you live agape. Live it. Speak the truth in love. I want this boy to love Jesus. I want him to love the church. And I want him to hate us over stupid things that don't matter. We are to grow up, Paul says in the next verse. We are to grow up, and not just in some ways, but in every way, and into the head, which is Christ. Christians need to take seriously the command to grow up, not simply because many of us are immature adults, but because many of us are immature believers. Our knowledge of God and His Word is sometimes only a fraction more than that of a non-Christian. And in fact, many of us are caught off guard when we encounter that other non-Christian who knows more about the Word of God than we do. 
But Paul says, you grow up. How? In every way, not just with your heart, but with your mind. What ways does Paul have in mind here? Into a greater relationship with Christ. That's the goal. And the way we do this is in knowledge and in unity. This is why he speaks of growing up into the head of Christ. The head is connected to the body. The body is connected to every member. And every member has his or her role to play in the church. And we must grow up, yes, in our knowledge, but in the body. Finally, Paul says this body has to grow and it builds itself up in love. And too many churches are built in other ways. They build churches in programs or in technology or around races. I hate, I hate, listen to me. Listen to what I'm saying right now. I hate when churches are built around race. And I don't care whether it's white or black. I hate it. I like it to be the way heaven is going to be. There are no white and black neighborhoods in heaven. That's what I'm excited about. All this crap we're fighting about over here, down here, it's not going on up there. And I'm excited about that more than I am streets of gold. I'm just going to be glad when the streets no longer have blood on them. You're worried about gold. Grow up. He says the body's got to grow up. Build yourself up in love. Don't build churches around technology and politics, but build it around the knowledge of God so that people grow on a greater love for God and so that people grow on a greater love for one another. Build. Grow. Strengthening the faith of every believer is the arm of our vision. It's one part of our four parts. Strengthening the faith of every believer is the arm of our vision that seeks to fulfill Christ's command to love God with all of our mind. To neglect theology is to neglect one of the major aspects of Christ's command to love God. That's why we have made it our goal as a church to strengthen our knowledge of God as we grow stronger in our faith and as we learn to grow and bear fruit in Christian sanctification. Good works cannot be separated from our knowledge, and knowledge cannot be separated from good works. Faith without works and works without faith are both dead. They are like a plant that only gets all water and no sun, or all sun and no water. You have to have both. We must strengthen our knowledge of God so that we will grow in our faith for the sake of our ministry. Our ministry, not mine, our ministry, and for the sake of our body. This week, I just want you to consider how you can begin to strengthen your faith by increasing your knowledge of God. But do not fail to separate knowledge from your works. James reminds us that both are essential. Be doers of the word. Too many of us are doers with no word. Too many of us are word with no doing. But James says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. He looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, 
and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, will be blessed in his doing. May God let this church be blessed in its doing. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would create a thirst in this church for the knowledge of God so that we might be blessed in our doing. Some of us are doing with no knowledge. Many of us are doing nothing. But Lord, let it be the beautiful balance that you have called every Christian to have. To know you is to love you. And those who know you will love others. We will love in the ministry that you have given to us. Lord, we ask that you will make this church desire to know you. David said that his, his soul panted for you the way a deer pants for water. Lord God, let us see that we are thirsty and then nourish us with the knowledge of your word. Amen.